Good evening, Richmond Hill. I didn't anticipate my first time preaching live would be behind a screen, <laughs> but we work with what we have. If you'll join me in prayer. Precious God, thank you for this day that you've blessed us with, one in which was not promised to us and one in which others are seeing in much more difficult circumstances. So we thank you and bless you for it. And we know that you're already here. Anoint our hearts, our ears, my mouth to speak your word. And we'll be sure to give you all the honor, the glory and the praise. In the name of Jesus the Christ we pray, amen. Each year during Advent, we hear this familiar passage and we're reminded by way of sermons, a sudden spike in church attendance, festivities, and the nativity scenes that the birth of Christ is near. We're so used to seeing baby Jesus in the manger that we often overlook the difficult circumstances that surrounded Mary's virgin birth of Jesus. To understand the impact of young Mary's getting pregnant, without a husband, we should first explore the world in which she was living in. In ancient Jewish culture, the worth of women was based on a number of things. One, her becoming a bride. Two, supporting her husband. And three, birthing children. And if she was blessed by God, it would be a male child in particular. The average age for engagement was about 12 or 13 years old. And most scholars believe that Mary was either 14 or 16 at the time girls were under the control of their fathers, and when they were married, they were under the control of their husbands. It wasn't much better in the wider Greco-Roman society. In Rome, husbands could legally have unwanted baby girls put to death. Even some of the brightest minds, like the philosopher Plato, believed that women were merely men that lived as cowards in their former life and now were being punished for it. This is the world in which young Mary lived in. It's a very important aspect of this pericope to see that God uses a teenage girl at that time to bring about redemption. Catholic theology understands Mary as the Theotokos, the God-bearer, the mother of God, who by her consent is co-redemptrix, therefore elevating the role of the feminine and bringing about redemption to humankind. And I thought my sermon was gonna go in that area. <laughs> But then something stuck out in this passage. Not only did God choose a teenage girl, but he chose one that was already engaged to be married. And God disrupted that. And a consistent theme in the Bible is God disrupts human plans and works with less than perfect people in less than ideal circumstances. And in this narrative, God disrupts Mary and Joseph's engagement with a life-altering revelation. We don't know if Mary and Joseph had small wedding plans. Perhaps they were looking forward to Mary getting pregnant because finally she would get honor as Jewish society gave honor to women and believed they were blessed by God when they got pregnant. Yet there would be no wedding celebration. There would be no honor. Instead, we see, at least in Matthew's account, Joseph coming up with a way where he could quietly avoid the engagement and avoid public humiliation. 
I think we can all relate to Joseph's story in one way or another. How many of us this past December of 2019 had all sorts of plans? Some of us may have wanted to go back to school or our children to go back to school. Some of us may have wanted to retire or at least enjoy retirement, go on vacations, finally take part in a gym membership that we never use. <laughs> some people wanted to get married in an actual chapel and some people are holding on to their marriages in this difficult time. Thousands of people are finding themselves in food lines and homeless shelters for the first time in their life. And other people just wanted to be alive. But now 300,000 people are dead from a disease that didn't even exist a couple of years ago. So yes, we make plans and they're disrupted and we're left bearing the pain to live a life that really wasn't the one that we expected. Each year we celebrate the virgin birth during Advent season and we look to chapters where Mary and Elizabeth are celebrating and we read about the astrologers also known as the wise men who give Jesus gifts. But beyond that, what do we have with this story? Well, we have children in Bethlehem being slaughtered by maniacal King Herod trying to get rid of this supposed future king. We have a poor family giving birth in a barn. And then with the exception of the account of Jesus in the temple, we hear nothing about Jesus's childhood for the next 20 years. What do you think it was like for Jesus growing up? Do we suppose that Mary went around saying, I gotta tell you about this birth that I had? <laughs> Do we think that Jesus got along with his siblings or his friends? Did he have friends? We don't know because it's not in the Bible, but when we look to Jesus's adulthood, we can draw some conclusions about how his childhood may have been. In John chapter one, verse 46, there, uh, the disciples are calling Nathaniel. They say, Nathaniel, you need to follow Jesus of Nazareth. Nathaniel says, Nazareth? What good can come from Nazareth? So we see Jesus's hometown really isn't ideal. In Matthew 13, verse 55, Jesus is in the temple and people say, isn't this the carpenter's son? They don't even give him uh, his father's name in Joseph. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother named Mary? And in Matthew or John chapter seven, verse five, it says, even Jesus's own brothers had no faith in him. So hearing about the Annunciation, the birth of Christ, which Lindsay read to us, you would think that Jesus would be some sort of hometown hero, which everybody knew about. That's the guy who had the virgin birth, but we don't see that in here. Rather, we have no mention of how Jesus grew up as a child, and it sounds like nothing in particular was remarkable about his early life, and even his neighbors and family were not convinced. It seems to me that the great irony of the virgin story is that in spite of it being a doctrinal pillar of Christian dogma, only 60% of Christians actually believe in a virgin birth. The other 40% might be on this Zoom call. <laughs> um, if you're a Christian who takes the virgin birth literally, we must ask ourselves, how can we possibly believe in a virgin birth in the 21st century. Does this also mean that we should believe that Noah packed two species of animals in an ark or that there were Leviathan and sea monsters 
that in giants that roamed the earth or that God spoke to Balaam through a donkey. There are numerous virgin birth stories from different cultures and different religions, and many of them predate Christianity. Should we also believe in these stories? Perhaps 20 years ago, we had an excuse not to know these things. You had to go to a seminary and spend days, maybe even weeks finding this stuff out. Now millennials could simply jump online and in five minutes find out church history through a simple Google search. And on the other side of this coin, if you're a Christian who only sees the virgin birth as figurative or only sees it as metaphorical, well then how are we any different from Jesus' brothers who also didn't believe in him or his neighbors who didn't believe in him? It's easy to not believe in miracles when we have adequate health care or access to resources or job opportunities. But if you know what it's like to be in a terrible situation and a circumstance that only God can take you out of, then as the old saints used to say at my Baptist church, if it wasn't for the Lord who was on my side. And when people are hurting, they're not concerned about theological scholarship or scientific evidence. They're just looking for a miracle from God. Nevertheless, if there was ever a time to celebrate Christmas in a way that's different, this year would be that year to stretch us to think beyond the boxes that confine us. Yesterday, there was a Christmas star, as most people are aware of, Jupiter and Saturn were lined up for the first time since the Middle Ages. And already NASA scientists and CNN are saying, that's just a coincidence it happened on the winter solace this is where my faith doesn't line up with science. You're telling me that Jupiter and Saturn are lined up perfectly on the darkest day on earth and one of the worst years on history and it's just a coincidence? I don't know. But if we had to use a scientist, then I would look to the psychoanalyst Carl Jung who said this is synchronicity where coincidences happen all the time, but when there's a meaning behind the coincidence, then that means something. And beyond that, Jupiter's 300 miles away. How can we even see it with our eyes? <laughs> That's a miracle within itself. I could barely see without my glasses, but you know what? I saw that star last night. This was a rough year. In the beginning of the year, Australia was literally on fire. 46 million acres burned. There were wildfires in California, floods in Indonesia, volcanoes in the Philippines, earthquakes in Turkey and the Caribbean. There were over 30 hurricanes in the Atlantic Ocean. They had to start using the Greek alphabet to name the hurricanes. It sounded like a sorority. <laughs> Hurricane Delta, Hurricane Alpha. There was the worst locust outbreak in South Africa or in East Africa and South Asia than in a quarter century. We were seeing headlines like, the giant killer hornets, first time in North America. The Pentagon releases unidentified flying objects. And this doesn't include worldwide civil unrest against systems of oppression or a global pandemic under which we're still reeling from and a president who tried to steal an election or for those who didn't, might be a Trump supporter, you believe the election was stolen. Either way, it doesn't look good. This sounds like science fiction. 
or it sounds like the end times. We are a people in this country who no longer knows what we believe. We're struggling to find reality. And many people think if we could just hold on for this vaccine and for people to get uh, injected, then we'll be okay. I don't know. We couldn't even get half the people to wear masks. Now we're asking them to have injections. And you know what? I don't blame people. We're asked to trust a government that took several months to give us $600 checks. People don't have places to eat, places to live. On top of that, billionaires have made over $4 trillion in surplus. If ever there was a time for a miracle. If we're honest, this year has shown us so much uncertainty that our leaders probably don't know what they're doing. And if we're honest, we have no idea what God is doing. And if we could recognize this and begin to live in that fear, then we're humbled because we know that we're not in control. And then this story about Mary is not just about whether it's historically accurate or not, or a mythological narrative dealing with the human psyche or a feminist liberation theology about the divinity of God showing the feminine and the divinity of God, all of those things are accurate and important in their own way. But after this year, we get to live what Mary went through. Uncertainty, God, how are you gonna do this? It doesn't make sense. But if we could be like Mary and say, I am the Lord's servant, may it be as you have said, then we're living into the gospel, not just reading it. And that is trust beyond circumstances. That is hope against the impossible. And that is peace that passes understanding. Amen.